Hello and welcome to episode 246 of Some Like It Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Today on the podcast, we have emerged from our Barbenheimer-induced stupor to review this week's new release, the animated action-adventure flick, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. But first, how are you, Scott? I'm doing great. I, I note that you call this an action-adventure film and not a superhero film. Is this like your new stance on, uh, I will not watch a superhero film, so I will not call this a superhero film, or or what's... Where where are you at right now? It wasn't an act. It wasn't an active choice, uh, but I I like your thinking there. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It, it is a superhero film, sure. I I don't really think of it like that. I think of it in a separate category. It's a with, comic book like, movie. Transformers comic. and and yeah. Power Rangers and stuff like that. Um, which yes, maybe you could consider them all. They're mutants. Um, I don't, I've I've loved to check the yeah. definition, but the mutants kind of superheroes. I don't They're know. Turtle X Men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So X Men, <laughs> there's got to be a Turtle X Men in there somewhere, right? I don't Probably, know. yeah. If you read the, <laughs> the, the comics, yeah. No, but I'm I'm good. I'm doing I'm doing well. Um, you know, I I watched Oppenheimer, I believe, three times in a week. I've felt so energized and alive, and I rolled into a big Saturday where I watched. Teen- I kicked it off with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, followed it up with an Inception on seventy millimeter at the Museum of the Moving Image, and then finished off the night with uh, Nausicaa the, of the Valley of the Wind. So what a day that I'm coming off yesterday. We're so back, I think is still appropriate. Scott, I got to get in the, all the we're so backs as I, I can right now, because the next few weeks, uh, which will be noted by the fact that we won't be doing podcasts for a few weeks, mainly because I'm on vacation, but really because we can't be bothered probably with some of the movies that are, that are coming out. But we're not going to be so back for very long, is what I'll say. So a nice weekend of we're so back and we'll see where things go from here. Yeah, I think your your pace may be stopped here at some point with movie watching, Scott. Between this one and I guess it's been a couple times ago, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, on a previous episode, you were talking about seeing, you know, five or six movies, I believe, in about a sure. three, four day span. Yeah, I'm sure um, I did that. That sounds right. Yeah, but uh, yeah, as you say, that's probably going to come to a halt at some point, regrettably so. But um, yeah, I haven't been watching as many movies as you. I was uh, went to Boston uh, on a family trip for during our, our week off and uh, enjoyed that a lot. I did on my plane ride back, I did watch a 2023 film, Scott. This is called To Catch a Killer. Um, yes. It is a crime is drama. Shailene Woodley, right? Yes, it's a crime drama. Uh, directed by Damien Zifron, who made this Argentinian movie called Wild Tales, like 2014 or so. I really enjoyed that movie when it came out. He hasn't made a movie since, and then he came out with this. It looks terrible. If you look at the poster, if you hear that title, To, Ki- to Catch a Killer, the movie looks like a straight-to-VOD type thing. Sure. Um, sure. But it's uh, Shailene Woodley and Ben Mendelsohn um, and uh, Jovan Adepo um, as various law enforcement individuals who come together to try and um, stop a mass shooter. Um, Really well done, surprisingly so. Um, Like a lot of visual style in this movie, which Damien Zifron brings. Um, It's, you know, some kind of generic stuff with the backstories maybe of the characters. Ben Mendelsohn is really good in the movie as like this veteran FBI agent who's like, you know, his last case uh, trying to, to go out on a high note. Um, and yeah, there's some set pieces and stuff that are really like 
suspenseful. Like it, it's, it was really gripping the whole way through. Um, I, I kind of started it on the plane. Like we'll see how this is. I'll give it 30 minutes or something. And then, you know, ended up watching it through all the way to the end. Cause I really enjoyed it. I would definitely recommend it if you like crime stuff, you know, it, it's a procedural type, you know, uh, crime investigation movie. Um, and, uh, but I, I thought it was surprisingly well-made and, um, somewhat timely one again it's talking about mass shootings they do get into the you know psychology of that a little bit too so um definitely recommend it to catch who, ma- who made this like what studio like where would where where can i probably some something that nobody has ever heard of i would guess if i had to guess what the studio but it was on, it was available on the plane though that's so interesting it gives off fake movie vibes but you can it's not free streaming midnight, anywhere, midnight right? in the switchgrass vibes. yeah exactly <laughs> exactly it uh it gives off fake movie vibes but it's not free streaming anywhere but you can rent it anywhere you know now sure. on yeah no, Amazon. i'll probably do that Apple, i mean YouTube, look i'm or... i'm a sucker for a good police procedural yeah, I thought it was surprisingly good. Uh, and I always enjoy Shailene Woodley, and I thought she did the most that she could with kind of a generic character in the movie. But anyway, side review over, Scott. I think we should get to the main event. Well, I was going to say the only thing that I think maybe worth mentioning before we get started oh, yeah. is that uh, last while you were flying on a plane watching To Catch Killer, I was watching a bunch of Billy Wilder movies last week. And that's what yes. I was doing on my week off. So I, mm-hmm. I saw not all last week, but over the past few weeks, I have seen uh, Sunset Boulevard. Uh, Some Like It Hot, um, Double Indemnity, which, you know, I'd seen before, but was excited to see it on the big screen. And then The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes and Witness for the Prosecution. So there was like a little Billy Wilder festival at the Film Forum downtown here in New York City. And I took advantage of that. Didn't see any new movies last weekend and instead just watched uh, some new movies for me, I guess is what you would say. Any uh, quick shout out for what your favorite is of the the new watches you had there? Yeah, a Double Indemnity is, would still be my favorite of of the bunch. Maybe not surprising. Of the new watches, it probably is a coin flip between Some Like It Hot and Witness for the Prosecution. I I really like Sunset Boulevard too. I mean, honestly, they were all like four four and a half star movies mm-hmm. for me. I will say underrated. Private Life of Sherlock Holmes, pretty good. I, I was expecting that to be by far the worst movie that I that I saw of the of the five or six that I that I watched, but it was I felt like it's a bit underrated. I mean, it's not a Sherlock Holmes. It's like not really a Sherlock Holmes movie. I said this in my letterbox review. Not that you read all of my letterbox reviews, but I found it interesting how it really felt more like a Bond movie more than anything, which I thought was fascinating because I don't think Doctor No had even come out yet um, when Private Life of Sherlock Holmes. It was 1970, so no, never mind. There, so, there yeah, had been yeah, yeah. I was just going off Wilder being, you know, typically really seen movies in like the 50s. But yeah, so a little after Bond, and it, and it feels like it's his Bond movie. Um, you know, it's worth an interesting checkout. Just kind of, kind of interesting. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. I have seen the other three. Um, I'm famously not the biggest Some Like It Hot fan. I, I don't yeah. know, just comedy. You know how it is. But one, uh, one of the things that I found really cool about Some Like It Hot is. When you're watching the movie, and I don't know if you remember remember it, but like the first twenty to thirty minutes is like feels just like a completely different movie. It's a crime um, movie, yeah. Is basically. A, yeah, and I thought that was awesome. Like that was the best. I mean, I thought. I mean, I still enjoyed a lot of the comedy later on, mm-hmm. but I re- I think that my favorite part of the movie was like the first twenty thirty minutes when they're busting uh, up the up the prohibition, you know, speakeasy in, in Chicago. Uh, they're in Chicago, yeah, in Chicago, mm-hmm. and then. 
you know, trying to flee and then they get onto the train. I mean, I think that the drag stuff is fascinating that a, a movie like that would do that in the 50s. And it's so pushing b- boundaries of what was acceptable, I'd imagine, in popular culture at that time. Obviously, I I'm I wasn't alive then, so I don't know. But it seems like that would be the case. And I think that's interesting. I, I think the comedy works at times, but there, there's so many elements of movies from that era where like the idea of romance and the idea of, um, you know, melodrama, I think is, is a bit overwrought. And I don't really mean that as a huge critique. It's just, it's just a, a, a fact about a lot of those movies. And I think sometimes in like the, the heightened climactic moments of those films, I get a little bit dragged out of it. I was actually surprised that, that, that it happens like ever so briefly in double indemnity, but I feel like of those, five or six movies it happens the least in that and i and maybe that's the reason why i gravitate more towards that film i just think it's something that's true for i mean it's true in witness for the prosecution sure. which i think is still a great film but just like at the end like crazy shit is happening and just Wild like every, yeah i'm just like what on earth this is like not believable like i just wouldn't believe that this would happen um but that doesn't take away from the fact that the movie's still enjoyable of course it's just a it's just a funny a funny fact of life i think in a lot of older movies yeah, no, but uh, you know, not despite not being the biggest Samaya hot fan, you know, Sunset Boulevard, Double Indemnity, Witness for the Prosecution are all five star movies for me. So um, yeah, I mean, Sunset Boulevard is another example where it's like the over the top nature of like the relationship between you know the two stars of that movie is just like man, that's crazy. <laughs> like that's yeah. really crazy stuff. Well, now you can you can see you know the famous now that you've you've seen uh, Sunset Boulevard and All About Eve Scott, you can witness you know one of the more famous Oscar yeah um, categories in history, which was the Best Actress in 1950, um, which had featured Betty Davis in All About Eve and Gloria Swanson in Sunset Boulevard, and both yeah. of them losing to Judy Holiday in Born Yesterday, a, a movie and a person, frankly, who hasn't been thought about very much in the last 30 40 years uh, kind of you know one of those things that shows you the oscars was always putting some bs out there even in 1951 yeah i i would have to probably revisit all about eve or let my time with um sunset boulevard sit for a little bit but i think i'd go betty davis personally yeah i think i'd like to rewatch both of them before i decide but it's not a choice I, I would envy, but they just they did they just decided not to choose. They abstained from the choice by choosing something yeah, different. They're like, we exactly. can't decide, so we'll choose a different one. <laughs> we'll choose the next best one. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, Scott, uh, enough classic film talk over. Let's get to sure. our main event for today, um, and yeah. that is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem. Yeah, directed by Jeff Rowe and written by a team including Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. Mutant Mayhem is the seventh theatrically released TMNT movie, but it acts as a reboot, giving us the origin for our titular turtles, Michelangelo, Leonardo, Raphael, and Donatello. Voiced respectively by Shimon Brown Jr., Nicholas Cantu, Brady Noon, and Micah Abbey. The turtles are brothers who, as babies, were affected by a toxic ooze which turned them into humanoid mutants. The turtles are raised by their adopted father, Splinter, voiced by Jackie Chan, a sewer rat who trains the turtles in the ways of the ninja. Splinter and the turtles now live in the sewers in NYC, isolating themselves from the human world, which Splinter despises due to the mistreatment he previously received from humans. The turtles, however, do not share their father's distaste and long to be normal human teenagers who can attend high school. 
On a supply run one night in the human world, the turtles encounter April O'Neil, voiced by Io Edabiri, a teen journalist on the case of a series of tech robberies performed by a criminal named Superfly. The turtles seize on the opportunity to do some good, namely to stop Superfly, and perhaps win the acceptance from humans that they so desperately crave. The turtles soon meet Superfly, a housefly voiced by Ice Cube, who shockingly exhibits the same mutant traits as them, and learn of his evil plan to weaponize the toxic ooze and turn all animals into mutants, thus achieving mutant dominance over humans. Scott, Mutant Mayhem follows in the footsteps of the likes of Power Rangers and the recent Transformers films as the latest attempt to revive an iconic property of the 80s and 90s for a Gen Z audience. But is there any room for a pack of turtles in our franchise-saturated film landscape, or does this animated adventure go down like a stale slice of pepperoni? I think it was it was pretty enjoyable. I, I think it's such an interesting call-out to highlight Transformers and Power Rangers as the two comps for this movie, which I don't think is, is wrong, but I think it's interesting that I'd say this has been the most successful of those, and the reason for that probably is because it's animated i'm gonna be honest i think that the film being animated like i didn't see like the there's like two relatively recent teenage mutant ninja turtles movies that were live action i believe um no thank you i will pass on those i don't i don't even i don't maybe they're fine i i don't know but they're not not well received yeah i'm not interested in in that and i think that it really works for this thing to be animated and i know that there's a an animated transformers film in the work Frankly, I'm much more excited about an animated Transformers movie at this point than whatever they're going to follow up uh, Rise of the Beast with, the Beast War. There, there's That's like a whole trilogy they're going to do with the G.I. Joe thing. We talked about it on the podcast. Don't understand what's going on there. Not excited for that at all. And even though I think this movie ultimately is like, it is not a great film, but it was good and I enjoyed watching it. And I think that was like the big takeaway. I'm not going to, I honestly, Scott, I barely remember. I could barely tell you what happened in the plot today right now like 36 hours after watching the movie but that isn't really the point i think for this like i went to the i went to the movies i had a good time watching a cool animation style with a derivative story where there's just like a lot of fun people in the film doing fun stuff with their voices i mean ice keeps cooking in this movie i mean i he (laughs) best thing he's done in a while what'd you say He's always cooking for me. I love Ice Cube. I think sure. he's one of the funniest guys sure. out there. I think that's fair. I mean, he's always at 11. He's at 11 in this movie. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. But yeah, it's, I don't think the film's anything to write home about, but it is extremely fun to watch. And that's probably the most important thing for the movie. And I, it's just another incredible example of you don't, you don't have to make animated films that are successful, fun, and heartwarming. Um, at a two hundred million dollar budget, and this film cost seven. Well, reportedly cost seventy million dollars for Pan- Paramount to make. Uh, I believe this is a Paramount Animation joint, um, or Nickelodeon. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's, it's Nickelodeon. It's right? a Nickelodeon so movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It is Paramount. So that's. I think it's interesting. You look around. I, I think the whole narrative around Elemental is like a bit a bit messed up. I mean, that movie's made like almost 400 million dollars at the box office now so it's ended up doing fine it it had a slow open but it it, but has had really strong legs over the course of the summer but the profitability of that versus something like spider-verse which in it you know in or or i think ultimately probably this movie is just because the movies cost so much and the reason why it's being judged so harshly is yes the the history of pixar at having really strong outings and, and making a lot of money 
But the fact that the movie costs when you open to 30 or 40 million and your movie costs 200 million, that's eye catching, right? Like, I think it probably broke into into the black and out of out of uh, and made its money back with 400 million dollars. But you set your bar so high that it's it's sort of hard to to claw your way out sometimes when you don't have a strong opening. But I think it, it maybe that's a separate conversation to talk about how the like success of animated movies in theaters might be changing and evolving. But I think needless to say, like what these people were able to put together, what the Nickelodeon team was able to put together here was something that I think is really enjoyable. It really spoke um, at some level to critics and to fans coming into theaters. It has really strong reviews from a Rotten Tomatoes perspective. So people giving the film a thumbs up, not necessarily giving it a 10 out of 10, of course, but giving it a positive review for people to go see. And I haven't looked at like the audience score, but I'm sure the audience score is great for this movie. I think it's really enjoyable. I think the voice work is good. The plot is whatever, but I think most importantly, it really speaks to this notion that, uh, you know, you, you can have a sort of quote unquote disposable movie if the movie is giving you a good time while you're watching. And I think that's my ultimate takeaway from, from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Scott, it warms my heart when you say things like, I don't know what the plot was, but it doesn't matter. You're getting it. It's not about the plot. It's about the vibes. Uh, Scott, it's I, I think I've been getting vibe. it for a while. I think I'm. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding with you, obviously. Yeah. Um, yes, the plot never matters, of course. It's always about the vibes. Um, sure. I mean, exaggerating perhaps a little bit, but uh, I, I mean, I we just talked about this in relation to Barbie that I think the vibes take that movie a long, long way. And I think the same sure. is true here. You know, I use Transformers and Power Rangers as the comp. Maybe it's fair. Maybe it's not. It's just in my head when I see this movie, that's kind of where I go with sure. it. Um, but I think the difference is this movie is fun, right? Like the Transform recent Transformers movies, the Power Tiresome. Rangers reboot Tiresome. that they tried to do were gritty, you know, all caps, <laughs> gritty. Um, and even, even you know, this is kind of a different uh, variety of, of thing obviously but like the recent charlie's angels movie that they did too in like 2018 it's another example of like they're bringing back these like 80s 90s franchises is that, is that gritty i don't think that was gritty uh no well the the 2018 one was um the, certainly not the early 2000s one but okay. they're taking something that is inherently goofy right sure, transformers sure. is goofy uh power rangers is goofy like go back and watch power rangers that stuff there's is nothing so wrong with being goofy by the way it's yeah it works i mean that in a good way yeah. i mean that in an endearing way um and but but then you know they try to change that in, when they make these 2010s movies i guess they think the gen z audience doesn't want that because i don't know marvel movies and stuff like that are going for a grittier type of tone something like that um i i don't want to you know speculate as to the reasons but anyway uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles obviously is very goofy, obviously is a silly, you know, premise, and they don't, you know, gravitate too far from that. They don't try to make this gritty. And, you know, I don't know anything about these other movies, to be quite honest with you, Scott. I kind of feel like maybe the recent two ones that they did, they did kind of go in that direction with the live action um, movies. I think but... if they're live action, there's I just think inherently filmmakers mm -hmm. at this point are like trying to make something more real right like yeah exactly yeah maybe that's really obvious to say but you know i think when you 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 un, you unshackle yourself when you move away from live action i think yeah 
Yeah, um, and they certainly did that here. And, you know, again, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg writing this, I was like, eh, you know, not usually my type of humor. Um, but I laughed during this movie. I thought there were funny moments for sure. I think, you know, the quips are flying, which is okay. Um, you know, I, I I prefer when the quips are flying, like in a movie like this, then again, for example, like a Marvel movie or, you know, like Dungeons and Dragons, for example, where it's like, the movie just comes to a screeching halt so somebody can do a one-liner and like, you know, then pause for great effect um, so that the audience can laugh. Where here, it's just like, we're just tossing up jokes because that's just the energy of the movie. And yeah, not all of them work, but we're just, we're moving on. Like you, you've heard the joke and now we're on to something else, right? So you're not fixating on it. Um, and I like that. I, I prefer that in terms of, you know, comedic stylings. Um, there's a few too many like pop culture references and stuff like that, which, um, you know, maybe again, that's just, um, that's just a, a consequence of trying to make something that appeals to this Gen Z audience or whatever. But um, I thought it was a really fun time. I think at its heart, you know, the dynamic between the characters is really good. Um, again, I didn't, I didn't know anything about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It was a nice origin story. They give you, everything you need to know there from the beginning, basically. I thought the voice cast was really good. I really liked all of the young actors who played the uh, Turtles. I thought that was a good decision to just cast, you know, people who sound like teen actual teenagers as they sound like teenagers and not for it to be, you know, somebody famous or anything to sort of distract from that. And then mm -hmm. you do have some more famous names down the cast who I also thought, you know, did really well uh, in their voice roles. And I like that it's a coming of age story too, at its heart. Um, you know, again, I think that's one of the things that makes the Spider-Verse films so good, which is, you know, getting compared to this a lot, mainly because of the animation style. And yes, there are similarities in the animation style, but I think it's like Spider-Verse in other ways too. Again, it is a coming of age movie. Um, it is about the turtles wanting to be accepted by the human world, wanting to go to high school. Um, that is you know, the thrust of the plot as much as Superfly weaponizing the ooze or whatever else is going on. Like you say, it doesn't really matter. It, you're just, you know, you're there to have fun. And it is really fun. And again, great characters, quick humor, and a really, you know, great score and soundtrack. Score by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, Atticus Ross and a soundtrack of like throwback hip-hop songs basically from the 90s, which suits the, the movie perfectly. There's a great no diggity sequence um which my favorite scene in the movie yeah yeah sorry to spoil that but um it's okay it definitely blows the no diggity scene from pitch perfect out of the water which i think <laughs> is the other famous uh use sure. of that song in a movie but um yeah really fun um action scene there i just I, I had a great time i honestly did i was shocked by how much i enjoyed this um, I was not looking forward to it going in, but it yeah, you, you really clears. weren't. I feel like you were really you were you were texting through it. I think at certain points, being like, "Do we, I can't believe we're doing this movie, Teenage yeah. Mutant Ninja Turtles? This is gonna be garbage." I don't think you actually said it was yeah. gonna be garbage. I don't know. I excited. guess I just I thought of it as being something for kids. I guess uh, was kind of sure. My, I think I mean to be clear, I think this movie is for kids, <laughs> but yeah, it, it yes was fun. and no, but. Yeah, now I think they thread that needle of where kids and adults can certainly enjoy it. Uh, because, it, sure. again, adults are going to get more out of, like, the needle drops, the references, um, you mm -hmm. know, stuff like that. Um, 
So I think they, they, they were able to thread that needle successfully. And I wasn't sitting there like, why am I watching this dumb kids movie? Um, I never felt that during the movie. Um, I only felt that when, that when cool. down the row from me, there was a child who was leaning over the balcony. And I was like, this kid's going to fucking jump off the balcony in the middle of the Teenage Mutant <laughs> Ninja Turtles movie. Yikes. Yeah, that that, but he did not. I'm, I'm pleased to say that that did not happen. So that's good. Yeah, well, Scott, I've talked about the voice cast a little bit there. Um, you know, we have the four young actors who I don't, I don't think any of them are really known names have done very much um, that voice the Turtles. Uh, and then you have further down the cast list, you have, for example, um, Io Edabiri playing, you know, April O'Neil, who's kind of the, the other iconic TMNT character, uh, because, you know, she's kind of the, the human ally for the Turtles. Um, but Io Edabiri voices her, you know, Io Edabiri obviously having a moment right now between the bear and she's going to be in Bottoms coming up as well. Theater um, camp out now. And the, yeah, she's also in theater camp. And then you have, uh, again, we mentioned Jackie Chan as Splinter. You have Ice Cube as the villain, Superfly. And then you just have, you know, random sort of voice cameos of sorts by like sure. John Cena, um, you know, uh, Maya Rudolph is in there, I believe. Uh, Rose Byrne, John she, she ha- Maya Rudolph has a pretty big role, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yes, you know, certainly not like the Paul the Rudd. Paul Rudd, yeah, is Mondo Gecko, um, Hannibal Burris, Seth mm-hmm. Rogen, who's also like a you know writer and a and a you know it's his production company right. that made the movie. Um, yeah. But basically, there's like a whole sort of team of mutant villains, right? And Superfly is the leader of those. Although most of them don't end up really being villains, or some of them do, some of them don't. But, um, but uh, th- so you have people like Maya Rudolph and John Cena popping up there, and um, you know, just throwing little clips and stuff like that, but not huge roles. But anyway, Scott, who stood out to you from the voice cast here, either you know, known or unknown? Yeah, I think the big standout, like I sort of already alluded to, was Ice Cube. I think Ice Cube here, it just fits so perfectly. You know, this sort of gangster fly is being voiced by, you know, probably one of the most uh, infamous comedy voices. If you think about movies from the early 2000s, like those Friday movies, Barbershop, like, I don't know, those are just like so like iconic to me in my mind watching comedy and then hearing that come out. And like, frankly, what is like a pretty um, black character or black culture infused film? Uh, I think a lot of the experiences of the Turtles and obviously with Iowa Beery's April. Like they are race swapping these, you know, at least at least April O'Neil. They're yeah, April's not little, usually black. Yeah. yeah, a white woman to a to a black to a black teenager, and I think that you sort of see that in the cultural sensibility of the film. You know, you see you hear it in the soundtrack as well, and I think that it it works really well in the Ice Cube. I think in the context of that, I think Ice Cube being in the movie, I think it was really cool. I think it worked really well. I like the kids too. I think. The, the fact that none of their voices were immediately recognizable, I think what you were saying sort of lends to the overall be like this feeling like a reboot of these characters. Like you don't have any association with them. Uh, the only person, the, the guy who plays Raphael, Brady Noon, has been in actually quite a bit stuff. I was looking him up afterwards. He's like one of the main characters in the Mighty Ducks show on Disney Plus. And more oh, importantly, okay. uh, he was one of the kids in Good Boys. Uh, the comedy, mm. I think that was actually, I think that was a Seth Rogen comedy from a few years back. Um, Seth Rogen not being in the movie, but I think he produced the movie. Mm. Um, yeah, it's Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, he's the only one who who would have been 
even like remotely recognizable, I think. But even that, like I, you know, I, I saw that kid in Good Boys, but I don't remember what his voice is. Like I didn't connect the dots there, but yeah. I was just looking it up afterwards. Yeah. And then you, you do get the bigger names sprinkled through the other heads. Like having Jackie Chan be the mentor, I think makes sense in terms of that sort of figure teaching people martial arts. It's a nice sort of nod to his role in the film industry being that sort of guy. I, I don't know if I necessarily loved his particular performance or it stood out, but it made sense that you'd have someone like Jackie Chan play that role. But for me, it really does come back to ice cube. And then some of the cameos were fun. Um, I'm like kind of tired of John Cena. I think it's literally just because yeah. of fast. I think it's literally just because of F nine, uh, which is like, you know, two plus years ago now, I should probably get over it. Uh, and I guess he wasn't fast 10, but I abstained from seeing that movie. Scott, I, I'm going to spoil fast 10. I believe that he dies in fast 10. But I think, as we know, that doesn't mean anything. He'll come back, yeah. So he could be back soon. He could be back very soon. Um, maybe he and he and uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson can fight in Fast Eleven uh, over I don't know who gets to beat Vin Diesel up on screen or something like that. I don't know. They can fight sure. about it. Yeah. But anyway, I I liked it overall. Uh, Ice Cube's the standout, but the kids and Iota Beery, I think are they lend a lot of um, th- they sort of match the vibe of the movie perfectly and i think that although no particular standout there i think because they almost blend in to the background of the movie it makes it more successful because of that yeah i thought they it was good that they were all differentiated to the turtles right like i i thought each one of them brought something unique to their voice performance so that they were distinguishable from each other. You know, they're, they're all unique characters from each other. I I say that because again, I didn't know who was who going in, you know, I guess some people will know because of the colors. It's the Um, color. Yeah. For me, it was the colors and they also had their, they have had their initial on their belts. Yeah. Yeah, But I mean, it's, it's established pretty early on just in the dialogue who is who, but I, I thought it was, you know, again, just based on the voices alone, it was always easy to tell who was who. Um, and so I thought they all brought a nice youthful energy to um, the performances. Which Who's your favorite turtle? You gotta say your favorite turtle. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have, I'd have to think on that a little bit more. I mean, I guess the easy answer is Leonardo because he's like the leader of the the bunch kind of. But sure. um, I'm a Donatello guy. Donnie with the glasses. Let's go. Is he the one that was into like anime? Probably. I don't know. I think that's right. Yeah. Um, he's like the nerd, like he's like the nerd. Yeah. Girl. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. That's him. Um, but yeah, no, I thought they were all, all good. I mean, you know, again, th- you think about something like spider verse, for example, you do have like, you know, Shamik Moore, who's older. You have Haley's time, Haley's time who's older voicing these characters. It's not super noticeable, but then when you do compare it to something like this, I think there is something that's added maybe by having, you know, teenagers in the roles of, of teenagers so i think they should have had been platt play one of the turtles <laughs> is yeah. that a tired uh, joke i think i gotta stop making that joke i mean it's been platt yeah, i'm not gonna say he redeemed himself he didn't because you could never redeem yourself from from <laughs> dear evan hansen you can never come back from that but he did make a good movie this year so i uh, will give sure. it mild credit for that with theater camp but i also enjoyed jackie chan iowa Beery, and especially ice cube i think he's just funny i think everything ice cube says pretty much uh cracks me up i i have always enjoyed him as a comedic performer um even like you know i was trying to think what what movie have we talked about on the podcast we talked about the high note 
uh, a few years ago, which was uh, that wow. movie we quite wow. enjoyed actually during. Hell, the I mean, one, one of our best random yeah. pandemic movies that we watched, mm-hmm. probably. But yeah, that was with him and Dakota Johnson and Kelvin Harrison. Um, and God, he uh, was in that movie. That's he was elite. very funny in that movie. But That's he's so always elite. funny. You know, Jump Street, I think, is a more famous example. But uh, I, I liked. Does he play he his dad? Who does he play? In uh, the high note. In the high note, which character was he? Uh, wasn't he like a record producer or something? I oh, that that would make sense. Yeah, okay. Um, but I will say, you know, I I have we've talked a lot about sort of sequel bait and stuff like that, and you know, what are stakes? What are the stakes for these movies when we know that there's something else coming up? We we talked about with Transformers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you have a little bit of that here because you know, spoiler alert, I guess. Um, <laughs> Superfly. Well- yeah, he turns back. He loses his super mutant abilities or whatever. But he's, he's not a dead. kaiju anymore. He's yeah, not a giant exactly. whale and superfly anymore. He's he's not dead, and yeah. it's probably yeah. heavily suggested that he is going to be back in the the future. Um, I think more importantly, it sort of establishes uh, it establishes Maya Rudolph as this sort of you know enduring enemy mm-hmm. almost like a i mean this isn't the right comp but it reminds me of like a viola davis and suicide squad type thing yeah um which is not i know that's not the right comp but um that's kind of what it reminded me of sure but yeah i mean look again I, I guess i have to knock it down a few pegs for doing that sort of thing but i mean you don't have to if it means ice cube is coming back i'm happy about it because i thought you know, he gave a great performance here, and there's probably more that can be done with this character going well, forward. Well, look, too. let me let me let me jump ahead of it for you. There's a sequel movie already in, in pre-production, and a of spinoff Paramount Plus television series, television series to complement it as well. I mean, look, the sequel is obvious. Like, I don't know if you even say for the mid-credit scene, but they're teasing Shredder, which is like the okay. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles like super villain. Yeah. Like he's he's the turtles, you know, Joker or whatever, like Lex Luthor type type character so he's like the iconic villain i don't even think superfly is like a villain that's been a th- like ever been a thing and i could be wrong about that but i don't really think that's been like a thing yeah. before i wouldn't know but um anyway ice cube did a great job with this character and uh i hope to see more of him in the future of this franchise i'm not gonna watch some tv show about it but uh yeah i don't I'll think you have i mean as long as as movie. long as the sequel movie understands that like you don't need to watch the tv show that's like really important because surely they're not trying to turn ninja turtles into some sort of mcu like thing i mean i don't know but uh guys there's a lot of homework for miss marvel or the marvels this fall and based on how many people that i think i personally know who were watching Marvel TV shows who have chosen to not watch Secret Invasion. I think that does not bode well for the fact that Secret Invasion is sort of homework for the Marvels. That's not good news. Well, I so you say that, and this is obviously a, a non sequitur from what we're talking about, but um, I heard some stuff like when Secret Invasion ended, like mm-hmm. people were mad because it's like, well, actually, I watched this whole thing and it's not going to have an impact on anything that is going to happen in you know the marvels basically i I could have just skipped over it and just watched the marvels maybe i'm wrong about that but i did see some people look i haven't watched it so i don't know but my understanding is that you know if you want to know why nick fury is in the position he's in before he enters stage right on the marvels and i presume you need to like ultimately here's the thing scott what what these people are realizing is that 
none of it actually matters. You don't have to have watched anything. You could just go into the movie and watch the movie, right? Yeah. Like most of the TV shows are nonsense anyway. Like, the, I mean, I understand that like the WandaVision to Doctor so Strange the stuff is like the is the is the reason people are like, oh, I gotta watch the shows, but like, yeah. None of it like really matters that much. Like I'm not even fully. Con- I mean, like obviously, Wandavision. Like watching Wandavision will help you understand where Scarlet Witch is at the beginning of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. But I'm not even fully convinced that it matters that much. Like I obviously I don't know because I can't make that comparison because I watched Wandavision. But I just like I don't like uh, you'll probably pick up why she's mad at some point in the film, right? Like you'll probably just figure it out on your own. Yeah, I I never understood that at the time either. People who were complaining that you had to watch the like how hard uh, sure yeah i actually did watch the series so i can't you know i can't fully say what it's like to to watch the movie without watching the series but how hard is it to understand that like there's another world where she has kids and she wants to be in that world like ever heard of the multiverse buddy (laughs) that's not a difficult concept that's really how you need to know anyway scott not what we're talking about here Uh, okay sorry change change topics back uh so animation style you know we have uh sketch about it a little bit um yeah that it somewhat resembles spider-verse i think is is still different um in its own way what did you think about it it is unique um you know from you mentioned elemental you know it's not the traditional computer animated like elemental is um yeah what yeah it's not the traditional 3d animated film like you'd see at pixar even Illumination uh, mm-hmm. or DreamWorks, Walt Disney, etc. But look, I, I think that it, it's it's I think what I would say is that it, it is inspired by Spider-Verse being different, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I don't I would not I don't watch this movie and think, oh, because this isn't traditional 3D animation, this is like Spider-Verse. But I think it's clear to me that there's taking inspiration from the like, oh, you don't need to make a movie that is perfect, crystal clear 3D animation. And I think that when you sort of make that connection as a set of filmmakers and for the audience, like that gets normalized because of how popular and how successful Spider-Verse was trying to mirror or send a sort of like visual homage to as if you were reading a comic book. This is interesting because this is not going that direction of a comic book, but it's going the direction of like a person making like a sketchbook or doodles in their notebook. And I think it works. I think I don't think it's as good as animation personally as spider-verse but i do think that it's it is an inspired vision and i don't think it's important that the animation be just some of the best things i've ever seen i think it's creative i think it's engaging i think it still works i I think personally that they as cool as it is like i still think i would have liked more detail in some of the animation i think one of the one of the features that you can get away with and when you're creating the sort of sketchbook is that like not everything is is really detailed and I think that's fine for the most part. And obviously the stuff that's important is, but there are some elements that are lacking in the sort of contextual world. Sometimes I think that's to good effect and funny. And, and I think works fine enough for the movie, but other times I was like, Oh, it would have been really cool. to like have a little bit more detail there. I think it's a small knit. I think overall it's a real positive for the film. And I think, you know, if you were watching this crystal clear 3d animated turtles film, like I don't think it have, a, it would have as much sort of life imbued into it. I think it's sort of, you, you take the good with the bad here and it's mostly good. Yeah, no, I agree. I like that it is rough around the edges, right? It gives you a sort of nostalgic feel, even for somebody like me who isn't nostalgic for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at sure. all, because I've never been into it. But um, 
I, I don't know. I, I like seeing, I like you yeah. say, something that is not trying to just be pristine 3D animation or whatever. Like, there's choices being made, and, you know, the, the style has character to it, right? It doesn't feel Absolutely. soulless, I guess. It doesn't feel like, again, it was just created. Um, and all the imperfections were, you know, smoothed out and everything. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it, it works well in... Um... It's turtles, guys. You don't need, you know, like it kind of it works right, because of that. Yeah. yeah, I want it to feel comic booky. Kind of going back to what I'm saying at the beginning, I want it to feel sort of kitschy and campy and stuff like that, and mm. it does. Um, so totally, I enjoyed that. Um, Scott, other things you want to say about this movie? I mean, again, it's probably not worth really getting into the plot, um, but. Are there particular sequences that you enjoyed that stood out to you? You know, there's some action scenes in the movie. There's obviously a final boss battle. Um, what did you, you know, thinking back on the movie, were there other specific things you haven't called out yet that um, you felt really contributed to you having a fun time with it? For sure. I mean, I, I'm going to go ahead and sort of just talk about my favorite scene in the movie because I think it sort of fits in here because it, it's not just the scene itself. It's it's some of the things that the scene is doing and that is the the sort of act like action montage that no diggity is set to and i just think that this is cool because this is sort of almost like what's something that that the super mario brothers movie did earlier this year back in april where there's a sequence in that film that looks like it is a two like it is 2d animated in the style of one of the 2d mario games and the you know you have Mario like hopping over pipes and things like that, like all sorts of stuff in that world. And I think this no diggity scene is that version for Teen Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles video games, which are, you know, 2D, you know, hack and slash or brawlers, depending on which games we're talking about. And it like these scenes are shot in like a 2D side scrolling view when it's set to no diggity. And they're, of course, they're taking out these criminals. They're trying to find out someone who has a connection to Superfly. And that scene I just think all the good parts of the film, so like the animation style works, the music's working, the uh, the sensibility of the film, like giving you that nostalgia, both for the visual sense of the cartoon. Um, obviously, that's not how the cartoon looked when it, but like it, it, it harkens back to that, to, to how you might remember something as opposed to how it actually was, but also gives you an homage to the video games, which, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles expert when it comes to the video games, but I played some of those games as a kid and, and I have, at least a, a moderate amount of nostalgia for playing video games as a kid. And so I think that really works. And I think it's, I think although it is maybe cheap and easy for people to do that, it's done effectively. And, you know, it, it, it tugged at my, you know, inner nostalgia for, you know, summers playing video games at home. And, and I just love that scene. I think that that's, that is like the primary example. You talk about the climactic battle fight, you know, it's nice, I guess that they're not just like, hitting the big whale kaiju for five or 10 minutes or whatever. And they're doing this weird sequence. I'm not sure that that sequence like totally works. I think it's kind of funny that they're just like throwing this bag around. Uh, <laughs> it seems like crazy that they would do that. But like everything in the movie is crazy. They're friggin' turtles. <laughs> mutants. It doesn't yeah. really matter that much, but I thought it was an inter interesting that it was different. I'm not hundred percent sure that it worked, but it was nice that it wasn't just a big, Oh, let's turn one of the turtles into this massive thing and like have like a Godzilla versus Kong in New York city type fight. Um, it was fun. Yeah, I mean, if I had to critique, you know, some, you know, something, I do think still the final fight kind of goes on for too long, maybe. Um, yeah, I think 
just you know common issue with action movies nowadays. Look, the movie was only a hundred minutes long, but it could have been shorter. Yeah, I I don't disagree with that, but yeah, I love the no diggity sequence. I mean, again, there's great needle drops throughout the movie. You have um, shimmy shimmy ya. Uh, ODB is in there, um, of course. It's in the trailer, but they don't actually play it till the closing credits. But um, can I kick it? The Tribe Called Quest classic uh, is also in there. Just, just you know, great vibes on the soundtrack throughout, and a really good score to um, really you know vibrant and lively from Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. I think they can kind of do no wrong in the world of film scoring. But yeah, Scott. I mean, you know, you're talking about your favorite scene there, and. That might be the standout for me too, but I talked in the beginning about liking, you know, the coming of age story at the heart of this too. And I enjoyed, you know, some of the scenes that got to that. I enjoyed um, the scene where they go to the high school for the first time and um, they're kind of all seeing what their life could be, right? Like, again, I think it's, you know, Donatello sees the anime, you know, somebody who has anime on their locker. It's like, oh, we would be best friends somebody else sees what is it sign up for improv club yeah uh, i think that's Raphael or one of them or, or you know again not sure totally who it is but they're all seeing like i think it was own... michelangelo because the whole thing is where he he breaks his name up into yeah. michelangelo yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that, and that was a good yeah. bit and yeah. and you know then they're coming up with leon leon ardo or leonardo yeah, leonardo that was funny yeah. um but yeah i liked that you know it it it, it, there's heart in the movie, which I think is is key for me enjoying something like this. There has to be heart there, and I think it's understandable. Um, sure, you know their emotions, and um, so I liked that it had that sort of connection to something human, um, despite them being mutant turtles. Um, so, I, you know, I, I liked that a lot, and I liked you know April being sort of the their connection to this world too. Um, you know, I think Iowa Debiri, as I've mentioned, does a great job. Again, she can do no wrong right now. She's killing it um, with uh, with theater camp with the bear, and I'm sure she's going to be great in Bottoms coming out here in just a couple of weeks as well. Um, How did you like the relationship between uh, the turtles and Splinter? I liked it as well. Um, you know, again, I thought that Jackie Chan had a real, you know, doting dad charm to his performance and. Obviously, he's, you know, he's stuck in his ways about being against humans. Um, but in the end, he realizes that he wants his kids, right, to be able to pursue their dreams, which is, you know, being part of this human world. And um, even if they're not his dreams, right, like he kind of, you know, wants them to be able to live their lives as they want. And yeah. I like that. That's a good arc for his character. Um, and, you know, it it leads to a nice heartwarming ending where, you know, he gets to meet a good human in April and then he's helping them, you know, accomplish their goals in the end because he just wants to see them succeed and thrive and, you know, gets them into high school and everything at the end. So mm -hmm. I thought all of that stuff worked. I you know, I saw some people complaining. Again, I don't know exactly what, how Splinter is portrayed in the old TMNT stuff, but that they kind of made him into a old, you know, kind of pathetic old man. He's um, supposed to be like a master, right? Like a master yeah. that trains the turtles. He's not really their dad, I, is my understanding, at least. 
Yeah, I don't I don't understand that that argument either because he shows up and kicks some butt towards the end. Uh, I mean, you know, he gets involved with the action. So uh, yeah, but you know, he's got boomer vibes. You know, people are just sure. I mean, again, vibes. yeah, again, he's anti-human, all this stuff. But um, I, I don't know. I I have no connection again to TMNT whatsoever. Maybe if I did, I would feel more strongly about this. But I thought they did a good job with with the character and with that arc. Well, before the sequel, Scott, I think you should get really into TMNT so you can just deliver the hottest takes for our sequel review. Go back and watch Secret of the Ooze. Sure. Uh, yeah. No, I'm not watching those last two. I've heard that the 2007 one, I think it's 2007. That's, that the, last an- that's the last animated one, yeah. Yeah, I've heard that one's pretty good. Um, I that think one's got that Chris one. Evans and Sarah Michelle Geller. I, I think people like that one. And then the old ones, I think most people agree are not that great, but are charming if you, you know, are from that particular era. Um, and I'm looking at the voice this. actors for that one. Hilarious cast. Patrick Stewart, uh, Kevin Smith, and then the the Turtles are, pl- one of them's played by Nolan North, who's the voice of Nathan Drake from the Uncharted games. Oh, sure. Yeah. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> um, <laughs> he plays Raphael, which is so funny to me. Uh, James Arnold Taylor, who is another fairly famous voice actor. He voices like Ratchet in the Ratchet and Clank game series. Okay. Is he in uh, something Star Wars too? I feel like I recognize that name for something Star Wars. but maybe. It's possible. He did Teen Titans Go to the Movies, Star Wars The Clone Wars. He is. He is Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star okay. Wars The Clone That's Wars. That's why I know his name, yeah. In the movie. <laughs> I don't know about the there animated show. I'd assume he, they had him in the animated I show. I assume he's he probably the same, yeah. Yeah, he is, yeah. He plays Obi-Wan Kenobi, Plo Koon and several other characters in the Star Wars The Clone Wars TV show. Look at that. What a pull. Sick. He yep, also I still got re- it. related. He's uh he's on the voice. He's on the dub for Nasco the Valley of the Wind. And so is Patrick Stewart. <laughs> yeah, Patrick Stewart a little bit bigger role than James Arnold Taylor. Yes. That, but yeah. Um, Although I haven't been watching the dub. I've, I've only been watching the subbed version on uh, on HBO Max. So. Sure. Yeah, you'll get to hear more about that in our Studio Ghibli series coming soon. Our Hayao Miyazaki series specifically yeah. because Studio Ghibli Nausicaa specific maybe, movies plus others. It may, Nausicaa maybe is and maybe isn't a Studio Ghibli movie depending on who you ask. But I plan will, on, on having a full one hour long debate before yeah. we start talking about the movie about that tomorrow. We will litigate that on yeah. that episode. But anyway, Scott, uh, let's wrap up on this movie. You've sure. given us your favorite scene. Anything else you want to say about it here? It's a great scene. Like, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and say it's going to be my greatest scenes of 2023 or anything, but it's it's definitely the part that that's going to stick with me the most from the movie. Yeah, it's the best scene in the movie. I agree. I think, you know, again, no diggity is one of those songs. I feel like it's played in a lot of stuff. I mean, not just Pitch Perfect, like commercials, you know, TV shows, whatever, like you hear it all the time now. Maybe Pitch Perfect kind of set that off. But, um, you know, if you, Pitch if you tell- talk today. If you told me that going in that, oh, this movie has a no diggity needle drop, I'd be like, yeah, of course it does. I'm sure, you know, if, you know, that's of course it does. That's, you know, the cliche song you would use here. Um, they couldn't have used it in a better way. I think nothing else should use no diggity going forward because I think I think they've done it justice here. It's really interesting that you say that because I was just reading about it afterwards and it was saying that it was really it was actually very complicated for them to get it into the movie. Um, and I think quite onerous, maybe because it was so expensive. I'm not sure. Mm. But it they cut a, a different version of the movie with a different song 
they ultimately went obviously with no diggity after they after they not that they tested it but they, i think they watched it internally like it makes such a big difference to have this movie or sorry this song uh instead of i believe it was the other song that they were was rough riders anthem by dmx i think it was the oh, other sure. song that they were mm-hmm. that they had like if it was going to be too difficult to get no diggity but they got it in and i, I mean i definitely played out paid off in my opinion 100 percent. all right scott let's put a score on it what do you give mutant mayhem out of 10 7.0 8.0 for me. I had a really fun time with it. Um, very few minor complaints. Um, definitely enjoyed this probably as much as I will enjoy any Ninja Turtles thing ever. I would sure. say I can't imagine it'll get better than this, but I invite them to try. I'm looking forward to the next movie, actually. Um, believe it or not. This is going to end up being your Deadpool 2. It's like three years from now, you're going to be like, why no. the hell did I get this movie 8.0? No, <laughs> definitely not. It's not going to age as badly as, as that, I don't think. But not, uh, I mean, and, and also, you didn't give it a nine, which is the way you get Deadpool 2. Things were weird back in year one of the podcast, but. Um, was that even year? Was that 2018? I don't even yeah, remember. Okay. It was. Yeah. Okay. Same episode yeah. as Solo, I believe. Um, if you say so. What an what episode that, was, that cool was there. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know the number on that. I don't know that is too deep of a pull for me. But anyway, one of my most pleasant surprises of the year, this movie. Definitely give it a chance. Definitely check it out. Go see it in theaters. I think it's doing pretty well from what I saw in the box office. Made numbers. 50 million this weekend. Pretty good. Pretty good, considering, you know, Barbie and Oppenheimer are still doing the, the goods right now. And so. frankly, there's nothing else coming out for yes. weeks and weeks to play against it. So I think it's going to continue. I think it's going to, I think there's going to be plenty of, of kids who see this movie and want to go back and see it. Yeah. there'll be good word of mouth too so yep all right scott that'll do it for our review of teenage mutant ninja turtles mutant mayhem we are going to take a short break when we come back uh we're going to have some long-awaited casting rumors for the next iteration of the fantastic four on the silver sure. screen uh we're also going to be talking about the lineup that was announced for the toronto international film festival coming this fall so stay tuned we will be right back Welcome back to this episode of Some Like It, Scott. Scott, a couple of news items to hit before we conclude. Starting off, I, t- I teased it before the break. Fantastic Four, maybe some casting news. I think there's still just rumors at this point. Um, but, you know, Fantastic Four often talked about there's been three movies on screen. And uh, none sure of have them been. have been very good. Um, and there's been a lot of speculation for years now, honestly, of who the MCU would cast. Obviously we had John Krasinski showing up in mm-hmm. what seems to have only been a cameo, right? As Mr. Fantastic in Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness. It doesn't seem like there's any um, plans to have him in that role going forward, but doesn't we have right. some rumors um, now for two of the characters for Sue storm and for Johnny, um, you know, who um, is being rumored to play these roles, Scott? Yeah, look, I think the one that that seems to have the most conviction currently is the casting for Sue Storm, which seems like is going to be Vanessa Kirby, obviously most recently seen in Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1. I imagine we'll be seeing her again in Dead Reckoning Part 2 next year. 
but right now it seems like that's the one that is is the most conviction and then from there there's sort of stuff all over the place about different people i think there's been various stories that you know adam driver or matt smith were going to play reed richards it i guess it's still possible that one of those two could play although i think matt smith is like pretty out of it at this point like the latest was adam driver but again like anything's possible but i was like i'd be really surprised if adam driver goes back to disney and does another franchise with them anything's possible though anything's possible but yeah vanessa kirby playing sue storm unclear about reed richards johnny storm uh hilarious back and forth uh last week i think about who who j like which jq was usually playing and cast in in this film because briefly it was it was mentioned that jack quaid would be playing Johnny Storm, but it seems like that was a mix-up, and it's actually going to be Joe Quinn, um, who I believe is most recently famous for Stranger Things. Stranger Things. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it seems like Joseph Quinn might be playing the Human Torch. Unclear, though. But I think Vanessa Kirby and Joseph Quinn seem to probably have the most conviction around those two, with Vanessa Kirby being sort of the first. And then the last one, um, the last other ca- like bit of casting stuff, The Thing, I think at one point, like, Paul Walter Hauser was was in talk or I don't know if in talks, but it was mentioned that it might be him playing the thing. Eben Moss Backrack also from um the bear was mentioned as potentially playing either the thing that. or Silver Surfer or Doctor Doom. So someone I could see him playing Silver Surfer probably probably more than than the other ones, although I think his energy would be funny as the thing. I'm just yeah. I'm just going to say it, you know, I think those old movies probably are, are not that great, probably don't hold up. I think Michael Chiklis was probably about the best the thing that you're ever going to get. Like, I don't I don't know if you're going to find someone more perfect for that role than he was. But um, but I certainly invite them to try, obviously. And I, I could see Yvonne Moss Bacharach potentially in the role. Um, I think Evan Moss Bacharach has the has the Michael Chiklis energy. Obviously yeah. not the look. Obviously he doesn't have the look yeah. of Michael Chiklis, but I think he probably has the energy to do it. Again, I don't think that that's going to happen. I think that those are rumors that have been pretty firmly shot down. So for the purposes of this discussion, it's really Vanessa Kirby and Joseph Quinn who are worth talking about. Scott, what are your reactions to this? Because I think this is like, I mean, here's the thing, right? I don't care. <laughs> like, I yeah, just exactly. don't care at this point. I don't care. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, not that, I just, it's not that, it's not that big of a deal to me. At this point, unless they, I mean, like, I'm trying to think of people who they could cast that would actually be interested. Is I mean, Vanessa Adam Kirby, Driver. What'd you say? Would be. I mean, Adam Driver would, you know. It'd be interesting. It'd be interesting yeah. for sure. I'd have a lot of questions. <laughs> um, look, even Matt Smith, I think, would be interesting, honestly. I think that could be interesting. But yeah, I like Vanessa Kirby. Haven't you already done this? Didn't you already do Fast and I mean, I know it's not, it's a different company, different franchise, but like, was Hobbs and Shaw not enough for you? I mean, come on. Like, that had to have been just miserable, right, to do that? Hobbs and Shaw and Mission Impossible, like, yeah. Well, yeah, but I'm not talking about, like, miserable franchises to be a part oh, of yeah. Hobbs and Shaw. Not but, good ones, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, not, not good ones. Um, yeah, 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 I just, like, I can only assume that they're just going to pay her a lot of money, which is, you know, I'm happy that she's getting the bag. Yeah, I mean, you said it, Scott. There was a time when I was actually invested in who was going to play the Fantastic Four, because I wanted them to make a good movie and you know there's a lot of sure. young talent I, mean, I still want there. them to make a good movie to be, to i mean be yeah but it's not gonna happen um unlikely. yeah I, I i no longer care i no longer have faith in them to actually put out a good 
movie, let alone fa Fantastic Four movie. So um, great. I mean, I like Vanessa Kirby. I think, sure, she could certainly do fine as Sue Storm. Um, don't have many thoughts on the other two guys because I really haven't seen them in much, if anything. Um, you know, it's just one of those things where you can cast good people in it, but it's only going to matter if the movie around them is good. And I don't, I frankly, because I mean, look at, again, look at the, the movie from a few years ago. You know, they had Miles Teller, they had Michael B. Jordan, they had uh, Kate Mara. Um, you know, they had good actors in it. Obviously, again, they had stars with Miles Teller and Michael B. Jordan, but the movie around them wasn't good. Even Josh Trank has a letterbox review where he says it wasn't good. So oh my God. Um, I just, Josh Trank, the sort of revisionist history that he's tried to do on that movie is crazy. No, I was gonna say he went and made the new views, but that wasn't him. That was Josh Boone. Um, wrong Josh, mixed up the Joshes. Sure, anyway, I think, Scott, I think I the movie you're looking for is he made Capone. Yes, yes, yeah. um. That old chestnut. The the movie where <laughs> Tom Hardy shits himself, I think, is what Yes, I believe that does happen in the film. Yeah. Um, Crazy. I don't think there's much more to say, Scott, on Fantastic Four. Uh, sorry to our audience who really wanted to hear us talk about that news, I guess. But uh, I, I can no longer be bothered, to be sure. quite honest with you. Um, what I can be bothered with, Scott, is the Toronto International Film Festival. Um, you know, there has been a lot of... I guess, more disheartening news recently on the release front because of the writers and actors strike. Um, there's a lot of films that are getting delayed. Uh, Challengers, the Luca Guadagnino's film got delayed. Um, there have been talks, though, of course, nothing confirmed yet about Dune Part 2 being delayed. Um, it seems like they're going to hold on to that because they have five yeah. weeks of exclusivity in IMAX, um, which they value they as, more, that, as yeah. more important than Timothy Chalamet. Ends and promoting the, the movie, yeah. movie, which may or may not be true. I don't know. I just think that uh, let's go is what I have to say about that. Yeah. But anyway, there have been a few movies delayed and uh, there will probably be more examples of all the strikes continue. But um, Toronto International Film Festival has still assembled a very strong lineup, Scott. Um, it includes some movies that we've talked about already, including uh, The Boy and the Heron, which is the Hayao Miyazaki Opening film. Night. Yes. Um, it also includes some of the films from Cannes um, that were big, you know, players like Hirokazu Koreeda's Monster, like um, The Zone of Interest, Jonathan Glazer's movie, and then the movie that won the Palme d'Or, uh, Anatomy of a Fall by Justine Triet. All of those are going to be playing uh, at the festival, Scott. And then, you know, some of the the other announcements that were made that, you know, are, are some stuff that we haven't talked about as much or, you know, haven't been on our radar necessarily. Um, some films that we were aware of, you know, obviously include um, Taika Waititi's uh, Next Goal Wins, his soccer comedy drama with Michael Fassbender that um, is, is coming about with the American Samoa soccer team. That's going to premiere at the festival. Um, big we're big also fall gonna... for Michael Fassbender. Yeah. With the killer. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, yeah, The Killer, sorry, is another movie that's going to play at TIFF. But I'll be honest with you, Next Goal wins. As much as I am, you know, disgusted with Taika Waititi getting that Oscar over Greta, sure. I don't think it looks bad. Like, I, I want to be out on Taika, and I'm very, very close to being out on him. But well, I'm there. I don't I don't know. Yeah. I, I certainly don't blame anyone for being out on him. 
Um, but I, I have a holding on to a smidge of something because I think the movie looks okay. I have really um, great news for you, Scott. Taika Waititi will be making an appearance in the movie, presumably a cameo, as an American Samoan priest. And I'm sure that scene will be amazing and my favorite scene in the movie. And very tasteful. Yeah, well, that, that takes it down a notch for me, for sure. But yeah, uh, Scott, other films um, that we you know were previously aware of, Craig Gillespie's movie Dumb Money, which is about the GameStop um uh, you know boom that happened a couple of years ago the stock market you know gonna be in the vein of blackberry and the big short and movies like that um it craig seems... gillespie let's go yeah i think he's he's a good person to to tell well kind of underrated i said it good movie good movie um also scott uh Richard Linklater's movie, which we discussed on our most anticipated episode because uh, you had it on your list, actually. I, I was skeptical about whether it was going to come out. Uh, this is the film Hitman. It is going to come out. And of course, I, despite me being skeptical, I couldn't be more delighted. He is my favorite director. Um, this is going to be a or so back. comedy thriller of some sort starring Glenn Powell. Um, again, knowing Linklater, I would not expect it to be any sort of traditional genre movie. Um, so make of that what you will, but I couldn't be more excited. Uh, they, uh, obviously worked together on, um, everybody wants some Annapolis 10 and a half and Glenn Powell is actually, I believe he's co-writing the movie with, he, he co-wrote the movie Correct. with Linklater. So it um, is adapted from a, I think an, a, a magazine article. Okay. So they the two of them adapted it. It's also a very important note. It's called Hit Space Man, um, not yes. Hitman. Not uh, like the video game, Hitman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I think that Glenn Powell is a Hitman. Um, yes. Yeah. He is. But obviously, they're trying to do something there with, I'm sure, some comedy angle on that. And you know, I do think Linklater is at his best when he's doing uh, original screenplays. But you know, adapting a magazine article. He did that actually with Bernie, I believe. I think Bernie was also based on a magazine article. There's a lot of room for leeway there because what it's a probably a four or five, six page article or something. Yeah, he's gonna have to. It's a magazine article. Yeah, I'm not sure. I couldn't be more excited, but um, yeah. So that's Richard Linklater's uh, new movie that's going to be at the festival. Scott, a few movies which I wasn't totally aware of, or maybe had heard about once, but. you know, that I'm now pretty excited for. Uh, They're going to be playing at TIFF, premiering at TIFF. Uh, We have Woman of the Hour. This is Anna Kendrick's directorial debut. Uh, This is the story of a serial killer named Rodney Alcala, who in the midst of his killings appeared on the game show, The Dating Game in 1978. Um, Yeah, Tony Hale is going to play the the serial killer, Rodney Alcala. And, uh, and Anna Kendrick herself is going to appear in the film. I'm guessing maybe she's the person on the dating game that he like gets a date with or something. I don't really know, but fascinating story. will be interesting to see her take on that. Um, Scott, another one that's been talked about a lot now is pool man. This is, uh, this is, Chris this is Pine's the Chris Pine movie yeah. directorial debut. Um, yeah. A lot of actors making their, you know, sort of directorial debuts this year and at the festival in particular, but this is uh, gonna star Chris Pine as a as a pool man or as a guy who lives in L.A. and apparently just you know cares for a pool on his daily basis. Uh, but then he he um, he he discovers some sort of water heist. Right? It's very Chinatown esque. Um, it's a mystery comedy type film. Yes. Yeah. 
I, I the vibe that again when I saw this plot description and everything, I said this feels like Chinatown meets under the Silver Lake. Um, and if that if it's anything like that, then it will be great. And Chris Pine, I'm a huge fan of, so I think this will be a role. You know, he was good in Dungeons and Dragons, obviously, but this will be a role where he can really like, you know, do his own thing and and cook. Hopefully, so I'm looking forward to to Pool Man a lot. And that um, Benning, Danny DeVito. Ariana DeBose, Jennifer Jason yeah. Lee. Excellent funny, cast. Funny cast. Yeah. Scott, Adam Agoyan, who is a Canadian filmmaker, kind of a, um, you know, one of the more famous Canadian filmmakers. He's been making movies for about 30 years. He has a couple of movies that I am a fan of. Um, uh, I just watched Exotica, which is one of his films from the 90s, which is a really, really good movie. And then also The Sweet Hereafter, is a really, really good drama that he made about a school bus crash uh, in the early 90s. That's a great movie with Ian Holm. Um, he has a new movie coming out. I don't think he has made a movie in a while. The last movie I can remember him making was that really trashy movie, Chloe, with uh, Liam Neeson oh. and Amanda Seyfried. Amanda Seyfried, he's teaming up with her again, and this is going to be another thriller called Seven Veils. I don't know if he has any juice left, Scott, but he's an interesting filmmaker. He has made really good movies before. So that is something that catches my eye um, because I haven't, you know, seen his name a lot recently. I think um, you're digging a little deep in the bag here, but I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, The Dead Don't Hurt. Uh, that's Viggo Mortensen. Again, we're talking about actors making. Well, this is not his directorial debut. He he has directed one other movie, but um, he his latest directorial effort, uh, is going to be playing at the festival. This is a Western starring him and Vicky Crapes um, set in Canada, actually, in the 1860s, I believe. Um, so that's one to keep an eye on for sure. Um, Scott, another one is Wildcat. This is Ethan Hawke's latest directorial effort. Um, he's directed a couple of movies before nothing really big. He did that documentary like last year about Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward that was on um that was on uh hbo max that was you know mm. briefly talked about when the it la came the out. last movie stars is that what that was yes uh-huh um but while that wasn't that wasn't a movie though that was a television show right it, yeah it was, it was like a, it was yeah, like a, a documentary mini series, series. Yeah. documentary miniseries yeah yeah but a uh, wildcat is his latest non-documentary film um and it is going to be a biopic about flannery o'connor uh the famous southern writer uh it is going to star you know, nepotism at work here. Nepo, uh, Maya Hawk, baby. Uh, Ethan Hawke's daughter playing Flannery O'Connor. But, uh, you know, other people in the cast include Laura Linney, Raphael Casal, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, Willa Fitzgerald, um, Steve Zahn. So a decent cast. He's You're leaving there. out Cooper Hoffman. All right. All right. Oh, I missed his name on the list. Oh, yeah. He is. He does have a pretty major role, it seems. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm an English major, so. No. Uh, I like Southern writers as well. I think this is right up my alley. And I love Ethan Hawke, obviously. So sure. um, looking forward to this one a lot. Um, that's his uh, directorial, his latest directorial effort. That will be at the festival. Um, Scott, uh, uh, a documentary which caught my eye is, uh, this is for the music heads out here. So maybe you can just tune this part out. But uh, <laughs> um, In Restless Dreams, the music of Paul Simon. Uh, this is the latest documentary from Alex Gibney, who is a pretty famous Oscar-winning documentarian. He made 
Um, Enron, the smartest guys in the room, he made Going Clear, the Scientology documentary. Um, you know, again, one of the bigger names in, in documentary filmmaking, and he's going to be making a film about one of my favorite singer-songwriters in Paul Simon. So I think there'll probably be um, a lot of good stuff to be found in, in that documentary uh, there. Um, Scott, uh, you know, looking further down the list, there's, you know, other random you know, films that we've kind of, again, we've kind of talked about before and have played at festivals. Uh, John Carney's movie, Flora and Son, which was a Sundance movie, but didn't actually screen um, for online viewers. So we didn't get a chance to see that one. Um, that's going to be at the festival. One of my mo most anticipated films of the year, uh, The Royal Hotel, that's Kitty Green's movie, um, is, uh, is on the list. So that appears like it's going to be making um it's uh i don't know if it'll be its premiere but i haven't heard about it playing anywhere else so um yeah that there's a strong possibility there that that's going to be the premiere for that movie um coleman surprise, Domingo. surprise surprise julia gardner lead of that movie yes yeah. and who is it there's another actress who's playing alongside her in it jessica henwick lady. yes and um, hugo hugo i don't know how much how big his role is but hugo weaving's also in the movie yeah, and Toby Wallace, right? They got they got all the Australians in there, and then also Julia Garner. But um, <laughs> the Australians and her girl Julia Garner. Yeah, we have Rustin Scott is another movie that's uh, directed by George Wolfe, who made uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. This is starring Coleman Domingo as uh, the gay civil rights activist Bayard Rustin. So you would expect maybe they're a uh, a Oscar play for Coleman Domingo, which. I'm fine with that. He's a wonderful actor, um, even if this might be one of his safer and more, you know. That's a Netflix kinda, movie, right? You so kind of know. Probably not an Oscar going. film. Pro probably. Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. But um, yeah, I mean, My Rainey's Black Bottom was also a Oscar, uh, a Netflix movie. So maybe the George C. Wolf is he's got a deal over there. But um, I, it sounds yeah, like, Alexander, I it's also produced by the Obama's company, Higher Ground. So. You and know. you don't think this they're going to try to make an Oscar play for this? No, no, no. I think that they are. I was joking that okay. Netflix can't win Oscars, but yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it certainly will be an Oscar, an Oscar, yes, movie, but they can't. They, uh, will they I don't think they will win an Oscar because they can't win an Oscar. So, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I, I get you. I got you now. But um, Scott, the holdovers is um, you know a film coming out from um, the iconic filmmaker, Oscar-winning filmmaker Alexander Payne. Um, this is the first movie that he's made since I think I was gonna say was did he make Downsizing? Was that his last movie? Yeah, Downsizing was his last yeah. movie, but yeah. um, you know, Nebraska election, The Descendants about Schmidt sideways. Um, he's teaming up with Paul Giamatti again as he did in Sideways, um, for this movie, so um, that's one to look out for again. Maybe that Oscar is a focus feature. Yeah, so it is. Um, yeah, those are just some of the highlights. I think, Scott, you know, uh, there's always a lot coming out of this festival. I'm sure there's other films that I haven't brought up, which we'll end up talking about a lot. But anything else jump out to you there that I didn't mention? No, I will say The Holdovers, though. Um, exciting because unlike Downsizing and more like Nebraska, he didn't write the script for this. So, you know, I I, I just I don't care for Downsizing. Um holdovers in nebraska uh, if it's more like nebraska though then we're cooking so let's go yeah. yeah that is interesting because i think 
most people would say that his strengths lie as a writer. Um, so yeah. more than a decade ago, that, that's where yeah. his biggest strength lies. But um, yeah, but I mean, the, descend movie? the Descendants and Sideways, probably. Yeah. yeah. And Election. And, and Election. Yeah, again, yeah, just sure. the stuff he made his name off of, even though I'm not actually a fan of Election. But Scott, I did want to mention this too briefly. David Yates, of course, who has been stuck in Harry Potter land for many, many years now. He uh, he escaped from Hogwarts, and he actually has a film coming out at uh, TIFF called Pain Hustlers. It's a crime wow. drama starring Emily Blunt and Chris Evans. Oh, um, so interesting cast, you know, big name cast there. Had to click um, on this one. Another Netflix movie. Okay. But yeah, that one's coming out in October, it looks like. Um, and it will be. Will Chris Evans ever make TIFF. a studio film again? Like a, a like a theatrically distributed studio film. I don't know. He's just collecting that streaming money. I mean, good for him. His soul has been sold to sure. the gray man. The bag. His his soul has been sold for the bag. I don't blame him. Uh, yeah. All right, Scott. Well, I think that should just about do it for this episode of Some Like It, Scott. Where can our listeners find you on social media? At Shelton two zero one three. And you can find me at Scarvy Dent on all platforms. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you have and you'd like to support us, don't forget about our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. Uh, there's a bunch of tiers. You can support us over there. Even if you can't support us, however, we hope you will rate, review, subscribe, like, do all the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. And we hope you'll come back for our next episode of the podcast. Scott mentioned it early in the episode, but we are going to be taking a couple of weeks off uh, due to traveling and also due to there not really being many exciting movies coming out. But uh, we will be back in three weeks um, with a review of the film that I already mentioned, Emma Seligman's sophomore feature, The Comedy Bottoms. But until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you down the road.